Are you looking to improve your putting stroke? Are you thinking of holding those demon six-footers that you've never been able to before? And you can't access some of the best golf coaches in your country? Well, fear not, because Skillist is here. Skillist is an app which allows you to access some great golf coaches across the world, including our very own host, Ollie Leet. You can send in a video of your putting for him to analyze before getting into a package of lessons. Make sure you check out the Skillist app now to download it on iOS and Android. Be the biggest, be the best, download Skillist. You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two putts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome golfers to the next episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Today we've got a real special guest on the show, um, all the way from uh, America. We've got Sean Foley. Welcome, Sean. Hello, mate. How are you? You okay? Excellent. How's uh, how's life with uh, Sean Foley? Yeah, I mean, life's good until I give myself a reason to not think it is, right? Like, like it's. I knew this guy who used to say uh, when I'd ask him how he's doing, he goes, "I'm fine, even when I don't think I am." And I'm like, "Hmm, that's pretty good. I like that." So you know what life is. Life goes up and down, but it normally is pretty uh, consistent. I think the key for all of us, right, and is if you look across the planet, well, especially first world countries, there's kind of these, after the pandemic, these just these epidemic of kind of mental health issues, right? And, and I think that part of the issue with mental health is that it's called mental health instead of brain health. I think that's what we should call it um, because it is just the brain, right? And so the mind is still theoretically like a strange idea to people, but what do we know about, about the brain? And I think that it's not really about being happy and it's not really about that. It's just about having meaning, right? So if you think about yourself and how much you love putting and how much you love helping people, that is so necessary because you are guaranteed to have difficult times. And that's just the thing that allows you to fight through those difficult times more is having that meaning and that love for what you do. So I think as long as you have that, you know, you kind of, it's like an anchor on the high seas when the waves start getting to 40 or 50 feet. It feels like the ship's going to capsize, but because you're anchored in, it's just a feeling. So at some point, those waves are going to, you know, diminish and it's going to be perfect out. So I think that I think the up and down of life is just is that's almost guaranteed. So it's it's not it's more accepting and understanding that rather than trying to be in this like this mindset or this state all the time. It's just really not is not possible. Um, so I think that you know, when you're working with players, you just have to realize they're going through the same ups and downs, the focus, but you still have to keep the main thing, the main thing, because, you know, trying to tell someone who's not in a good mood to cheer up is probably not a good idea, right? No one wants to be in a bad mood. And there isn't really a way to go from a bad mood to a good mood by invoking some kind of saying, like, like, if I'm in a bad mood, it's easy for me to tell myself that I should be grateful for my life, because I'm very fortunate um and i've been very lucky but that doesn't seem to change that at that moment <laughs> at some point i won't be in a bad mood anymore so you just recognize you don't really pay too much attention to how you feel and just keep the main thing about the main thing love it that's great i knew we were going to get um philosophical today oh i can't even say that word philos i can't even say that word what's going you're on? welsh you're welsh bro it's it's uh can you say <laughs> it can, can you say it in welsh philosophical um yeah, probably could if I knew what it, um, what the word was. But uh, yeah, I can't think what, the, what it is off the top of my head. I do speak Welsh, but not uh, not today or on the podcast. That's for I've sure. been trying to I've been watching that Wrexham show um, with 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 uh, Ryan Reynolds. And, uh, you know, they bought the team, the, the Wrexham yeah. football team. And it's funny, they'll do the American, the English and then the the, the Welsh. I never my dad is from Glasgow, um, but I never knew 
that you guys have basically your own, it's like its own language. Um, I, that, that's what I was educated on. So it's, it's pretty funny. It's an interesting show. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the language is, uh, is still, still going strong and um, we're sort of very proud of it for sure. But um, yeah, no, it's cool. It's, it's, it, I think I would enjoy, I think I would enjoy Wales. I think the people are pretty real and they kind of tell you what's up and I, I enjoy that. We tend to be pretty straight, which, uh, which can hey, be good that's and the, bad. That's the, that's the best. No one wants a ninja as a friend where you just, you know, you don't know who they are until you know who they are. I like it straight. Say it straight. Say it straight. The Welsh language has been useful for the World Cup to call in English people names without them knowing. Yes, of course. There we are. But, uh, well, US and Canada didn't do too well as well, did they? You know what? Canada looked like they got some great athletes. They just looked really young. And then, you know, the US is, uh, I think, just to be in the World Cups, like being at a major. So you're just really good if you're there in the first place. But uh, I think, I don't know, my call is probably next two or three World Cups. The African countries keep getting good coaching and good support. And they're going to be pretty deadly right there. I mean, if you look at if you look at the teams, you look at Saka, Mbappe, all that. I mean, some of the best players on each team are just are are kids who were obviously born there, but they're they come from African descent. So I think that uh, those African countries, they look really good. I mean, they looked incredible. So once I think they get, you know, a guy's a good putter and he gets someone like you or Phil Kenyon and you teach him a little bit more about green reading, a little bit more about posture and then he becomes like great putter. Um, just he's already got 90% of the solution that you give him that next 5% that he probably wouldn't have figured out on his own. And next thing you know, he's world-class. So I, I feel like that, that we're on the, uh, I think we're on the brink of that. Interesting. Pretty, yeah. Which is cool. It's, 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 it's super cool. I grew up, my dad is from Glasgow. And when he was a kid, uh, he had terrible asthma. He was born in 1940. So his first five years was during world war two. Um, and he had really bad asthma. And so, the asthma went away when he was about 18. And as a kid, he just, he, he, he loved soccer so much, but he couldn't play it because he couldn't breathe. And oh, so man. he, he became, uh, once he was in his mid twenties, he became a soccer referee. And then he did, you know, from, I guess like maybe 45, well, no, no, 40 to 65, some, somewhere around there. He was the president of the Canadian referees association. Oh, pretty cool. So I've, I've been, I, I didn't, I stopped playing uh, football when I was about 10. Um, it's funny. He was like, you know, he wouldn't be thrilled with me when I would not play well in soccer, but when I didn't play well in golf, he didn't care. So I was kind of like, all right, I think I'm going to stick to the golf thing. And so I spent so much time of my life at soccer pitches. And, uh, I remember as a kid, when the Italians and Croatians in Toronto would play each other, he would need to get a police escort on and off the field. So people, <laughs> people in their football, it gets pretty crazy, right? It's almost like even more than religion. It's crazy, but it's, it's definitely, but it's a, yeah, it's, a it's, it's a beautiful, you know, it, it's it's a beautiful game, and I think what's been so cool with this World Cup versus kind of what I remember is the level of athleticism is just so much higher now. You know, like guys are guys are so much taller than they used to be. Everyone as fast as you can imagine. Um, it's pretty impressive. It's been a uh, yeah, it's been good to watch. It's been good to watch. To be fair, um, it is football, not soccer, though, Sean. Yeah, I know it. It it's uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's uh, it's uh, you know of of course it's it's uh, it's it's quite like America to kick a ball like maybe four or five times in a game and call it football, right? But anyways. Anyway, we, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Sean, I'm really interested in uh, sort of finding out more about you and, and sort of your career. You know, you've you've sort of 
worked your way up the ranks and become known as sort of one of the best coaches in the world. What I want to know is how have you done that? Well, I don't think anyone who's known as that really believe that they're that. I, I don't think you ever want to think that, you know, it's just because look, me, Phil Kenyon, Pete Cowan, you name it, right? All of us who are coaching professional golfers, it's, it's, we're only going to look as good as our players play. And there's a lot that goes into how players play relationships at home, things in their life. Um, gosh, you know, life has so many variables and there's so many things that can cause us to not have clarity. And so, you, you know, you, re you realize that, you know, you doing, you doing well or not well, um, a lot of that is at the uh, risk of people's decisions, their work ethic, their attitude, um, all those things. So I think it's different, like in football, for example, the coach is setting up the offense, he's calling the plays. If you're working with one of your tour players, you can't help him read the putt on the first hole. Sure. So it, on the PGA Tour, if you speak to the player during the round about anything technically or golf related, they'll get DQ'd. So it's kind of, it's not really instruction because you don't really teach Justin Rose because Justin Rose is Justin Rose. You don't really, I mean, I have a kid today who's 11. I'm going to be teaching him golf. He, he, you know, but, and then you can't really coach because you can't really coach. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, I would love to be able to walk with my players as they're playing the whole round. I really believe that it would go um, our way more often than not. Yeah, for sure. It would. I mean, that, that's, you know, when you mentor these people and, it, you know, it, it would just be the reminder of like, hey, yo, this thing you're complaining about was like 15 minutes ago. So we need to be where we're at right now. So let's accept that, move on. This is the most important shot in your life that would just that's what you do like that's what the that's what the coaching the coaching does it's not really about giving them a, a great speech I mean those those are the things that we see you know guys win the, the the big game in football or whatever sport it is and then people talk about the inspirational speech that the coach gave at halftime right well how many times does a coach give an inspirational speech and they don't win probably way more often so how the second half goes there's a million variables that go into every single little tiny thing. So what do you have control over and what do you not? And to me, as soon as you don't have control over something, which is almost everything in your life, you just have to be at peace with it and just accept it and recognize that this thing is difficult. Like life is beautiful, but life is also very hard. Um, and then golf is very hard. Um, so, I mean, how many good putts miss because the ball hits something and we can't really see it because it's at a microscopic level. And all of a sudden, someone goes and changes their putter rather than recognize that when you guys have done those experiments where you take that perfect putter, you know, that thing, whatever yeah, it's yeah. called, right? You got to remember, I'm, I'm, I'm a swing coach. I don't even know where most of the putting greens are on tour, right? I, I leave that to, to <laughs> John Graham and, and, and Derek and, and you guys. You get that, That's your spot. Um, but I remember seeing someone explain it. And I think at 10 feet with like 10 putts, I, I can't remember how many they made, but it might've been six or it might've been five or it might even have been four. And then at 20 feet, it was like, it was incredible. That first one went in perfect, like Tiger hit it. And then the next five missed. And it was like, it's almost leaving at the comparable velocity at the same exact angle. And so as soon, if I'm a pro golfer, as soon as I see that, then I'm going to say, okay, uh, what am I working on with Ollie? Okay, we're working on my rib cage posture, where I'm at my feet and the timing of my stroke, right? The tempo of my stroke. So Phil taught me that I need to take the club back faster. So that's what I'm working on. Okay, so after I get to a certain, a certain distance, 
I'm just probably not going to beat myself up if it doesn't go in because I understand the math of this probability. And so I think that using probability with players will help them to stay out of getting over emotional because it's like, guys, there's logic behind, for example, at 200 yards on the PGA tour, that's right where the whole tour hits 49% of their greens and regulation. Okay. So if you're 205 yards away from the pin and it's a right pin and the wind is off the right, and you're thinking of hitting a nice hold up fade into the wind, you're doing more than you need to do. Get it on the green somewhere, like whatever that takes, just get it on the green because if you get it on the green, you're gaining a slight advantage against the field. So I think if we can delve into that stuff and look, a lot of people have looked at Scott Fawcett's stuff decade. And, you know, before that, obviously what precedes everyone is Mark Brody. Um, And, you know, you look at it and, you know, I have a buddy who's a 12 handicap who got the thing and understood the decade. And it's funny, he gets on par fives and he hits a rescue off the tee. And people are like, why are you hitting a rescue? This hole is long. It's because when he hits driver, just bad things happen. Sure. So, you know, he turns every double he makes into a bogey and he turns, you know, half of his bogeys into a par. And, you know, if you watched him play, you'd be like, God, I can't even believe he shoots those scores because his skills aren't high, but he's very aware of what he can and can't do. And that, I mean, isn't that life like being aware of what you can and can't do? And I think so many of us just live in a fantasy and we don't, our narrative is, is fictitious and it's not true. So I think that, you know, metrics and things like that are really, really important. Totally. So of the, of the skills you are in control of as a coach, what would you say your greatest strength is? I don't know. Being on time, being present, uh, being like, you know, being right there, being, fu- being in the, being fully in the thing, you know, and then, you know, trying to, as I get a little older, I'm trying to do more with, with practice and, so for me, I spend a lot of time with my players when we're working on the swing and hitting like five and four irons. Okay. It's very easy to get on a range and just hit a thousand seven irons. And you know what? I hit my seven iron pretty good too. When I get to my five iron, people are like, man, you're not really that good. But with my seven iron, I look pretty decent. So I think when you increase the length of the club, the speed it's moving at, and you decrease loft, then now all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, okay, I'm, I'm not as good as I think I am. So I think that that, that that's really important. Like if you're sitting on the putting green with your player before a tournament and they drop down three balls and just start putting with three balls, I don't really see the use in that because it's like, we have to be aware of when the ego is taking over. And so look, they want to do well. We want to see them do well. We're feeling like a lot of pressure because it's a big tournament and that pressure is at a place we can't even see it. Um, And it's connected to identity and all this shit, like this crazy discussion that we have going on behind the curtains. And we're just kind of, hey, yeah, you're putting good. Well, everyone seems to make the third putt, okay? But on the course, you only get one. So I think that's something like Phil's done very well is he's created, when his guys are out there, there's purpose in that. There's purpose in it. And, you know, it's really about getting 1% better a day. If you look at how the brain works and how we learn things, it's very rarely like, you know, go 10% improvement, especially at the highest levels. Of course, if you bring someone in and they're a 15 handicap and they're struggling with their putting and you see they have the worst putter ever for themselves and they have terrible posture and alignments, they can think they've just literally hit the lottery in a 40 minute lesson. But once you get to higher levels, you know, the low bearing fruit is harder to find. And Mm. because you know what I'm saying? Totally. So, all right, if I'm going to go and see Ben on on Thursday, what can I do to get us 1% better that day? And hopefully over two years, those percentages add up to a top 10 player in the world. And I think that it's kind of the consistency. Like when you're working with a player, there's a million things that you might want to see better 
but you have to ask yourself, like, where's the tumor here? Like, what's the thing that's causing the main issue? And keep your focus on that. Like Rosie and I worked together for 11 years. And, you know, we basically did, we, we had different feels and we had different, I had different explanations, but it was always the same thing. And we just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And, um, you know, over time, someone is as gifted as Rosie and someone who's as much a professional as he is. And he looks under, you know, he looks under every rock to see where he can prove from diet to sleep to hydration. The, the guy's a total pro. Um, but I mean, he's almost won the British Open when he was 17 years of age. So it's even understanding like those tendencies that you see in players, those tendencies have been there since they're 11. And when we look at the brain in golf, we use the word pattern too much. We need to use the word program. So when you recognize what these programs are and, and kind of how entrenched in cement they are within all of these pathways, you know, it's just like slow and steady with it. Cause it's, it doesn't, that's not how it works. Sure. Right. So sure. I think, I think as us as golf instructors, we could do a much better job at two things. I think, you know, studying more of how humans communicate and, and two, what is just introductory brain, brain science? Like how do we develop, how do we develop programs as it relates to movement? What is the emotional aspects that kick in to change movement? Like just to know that because yeah, it's all great to understand, you know, tempos and, rates of rotation and path and strike and biomechanics and all that. But how many people really know who they're truly talking to? So we, we know the, we know the subject, we know the content, but do we know who we're looking at? And then do we understand that? How does this, how does this function? Like, how's this, how do, how do some people you've worked with who come to you who have yips, right? More focal dystonia or whatever people call it. How did that, like, what's the catalyst to where that started? That's the, uh, that's the interesting question, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it normally it, it can be back to when they were 13 and they might have missed a five-footer in the British Boys Championship and they got in the car and it was the first time they ever thought they disappointed their dad and they laid in bed all night in this massive emotion, ex emotional experience. And because they reacted to this emotion so hard, it, you know, at that level of, of reaction becomes reinforcement. So then all of a sudden... This thing that happens is there to keep them safe so they don't feel that pain again. But that's exactly the same thing that's sabotaging them from having an abundant experience and being free. So it's it's really tricky, but like it's it's uh, it's very, very tricky because you know what? It's just a golf shot. It's just a five footer. It shouldn't matter that much. It ain't we're not in Afghanistan getting shot at and, and we don't have cancer. But guess what? If you haven't experienced either of those, then to tell people that, you know, it's just a putt that's not really fair because you know these guys and girls have been playing golf since they were kids and they've kind of noticed like when they're playing well everyone's there and supportive and when they're playing bad people go away and and it shouldn't be that way but it is that way so the fact that it's life or death to them of course someone who survived cancer realizes that putting bad is not life or death but if you haven't been through something like that it could be life or death like and so if it's going to feel like it's life or death, the brain doesn't really know that it's putting. It now thinks it's a saber-toothed tiger and you're going to elicit chemical reactions and you're going to have changes in blood flow and you're going to have all kinds of things going on in mechanoreceptors and proprioceptors. And then all of a sudden, the person thinks something's wrong with them. And it's like, well, the only thing wrong with you is that you think something's wrong with you. But 
you know, what can we do to uh, get your mechanics better? Because look, it all started that way. It started, I've never seen a guy go from driving it perfect and then two weeks later, everything is out of bounds. It kind of, you know, it's like a slow burn and it happens over time. And then it's this whole, like, I'm so scared, I'm, I'm afraid. And I, okay, well, we need to deal with that. Like, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to hit it out of bounds. All right. So if you hit it out of bounds, uh, are your parents going to, you know, you know, not be your parents? And is your wife not going to look like, what are you afraid of? Like, so that that's very important because, you know, if you're, if you're afraid, like the brain doesn't have the levels of afraid. It's just, I'm afraid. So now I'm going to go sympathetic and the way my blood works is going to completely change. And the things that are going to happen are going to really help me, you know, get ready to fight something off or run faster than I've ever run. Well, how's that feel on a six foot, you know, a six foot downhill putt on the first hole of Augusta? That's probably not a good place to be, right? Sure. So it's the people that go, yeah, his backswing was too slow. Yeah, I get that. Why though? Like what's the, cause it wasn't when it didn't matter. And so we can't, we can't train people to be like, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It super matters. So it's like, do we want to take people to where they learn to be happy and positive all the time? Or do we want to put people in cold ice tubs so that they can learn how to adapt to stress? And that's really what the key is because the stress is going to be there. So it's not about learning to not have stress. It's about learning how to adapt to stress and what happens to me when I get in this, in, 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 in this state or this flow and what are my opportunities to make sure that I kind of become a little more relaxed again? And so why, when we bring up breathing with players, it's almost like, what do you mean by breathing? And it's like, well, dude, breathing is the life force. It's the most important thing in the world. So you watch the guys in the long drive, they get up there and they go, <gasps> well, that's probably not going to help you on the putting green. <laughs> So they're breathing, they're, they're breathing above the vagus nerve, they're breathing into their chest, they're eliciting a sympathetic response, it's going to be an adrenal response, and it might help them get to 220 ball speed or whatever. But the opposite is true. I mean, gosh, it's like you look at so many of the great putters, right? Like Steve Stricker's a great putter, Crenshaw, Tiger, you know, and, and the interesting thing is like, those guys are, are very, very chill guys you know when they when they're on the putting green everything is slow everything they walk smooth it, it's fascinating whereas you look at the guys who bomb it you know there's a little more like let's go and hit this so there's even a different level of tension i think that's necessary from a driver um to a putter and i think people like tiger figured that out and understood that you know absolutely uh, really interesting i think the you know finding what's sort of under the bonnet as uh, phil kenyon would say rather than sort of just looking at the outsides is key. And that's, I think that's you, you know, you're sharing with us there that your key strength is the, the obsession of human behavior. Well, think about it, right? Like I've had so many players over the years, right? And, and, and I've, had, I've had players, mate, where um, they're, building, um, they're building a new house and at the same time they're having their first child. I mean, you got to be aware like that you, you might get the odd unicorn who just goes at that point. But for the most part, they're going to be spending less time practicing. They're going to be thinking of more things than just themselves. Absolutely. They're going to get you have kids. You know what it's like when it starts out. Right. It's uh, if you do it right and you and you assist your wife or your partner. I mean, you're not up at 3 a.m. in the morning ever feeding them bottles. So all these things add up and add up. And then, you know, the guys now on the road. 
and he's got a young family with him and the baby's crying through the night. And it's all that stuff that's adding is, is, is adding up. So I think as a coach now, it's like having an idea of a player and like, you know, what are you thinking about doing? Oh, you know, I'm going to build a house here and probably one here. And you're like, Oh man, that's uh that's going to be a lot of added stress. And by stress, I don't mean negativity. So sure. I just mean activity. And so you got to pay attention to all those markers, you know, like all these little things that are going on, because at the end of the day, um, you're dealing with the human being and that human being wants to be accepted by the tribe as much as you do. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's I just find that's the thing I, I love about golf is like it's never become boring at all, because I think we're still just like literally at the tip of the iceberg on on knowing how to coach people at the high level. And when you see an iceberg, it looks pretty big, but then you see underneath it and it's massive, right? Sure. So if we're, if we're just at the tip of the iceberg, then I don't think you could ever know it all. But I think putting the focus on the human being and then recognizing that there are different, you know, I, I've got players who have a chip on their shoulder and then I've got, play, I've got players where I've sent a screenshot to them where they're 30th and a screenshot of the top five players and say, how are we not on the top five of this field? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are we doing? And, you know, that kind of insights a riot in the player and they get hungry and they go after it. Well, if I send that same one to another player, I mean, that might destroy them. So you got to know who you're, you, you have to know who you're working, who you're working with and what motivates them and then help them out with that as long as it's not unhealthy. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. It's interesting you uh, talk about the sort of the um, not stress, but the level of things going on uh, activity. That's the word I was looking for. And uh, I've heard you talk about Danny Willett in uh, when he won at the um, at the Masters. He had a, he had a baby right a couple of weeks before. Was that right? No, no. He him and Nicole, they had uh, they had Zach as his oldest son. And so he had, he had already accepted that he wasn't going to play. And he and Danny's, Danny's a great, Danny is, I love Danny. That's my boy. But Danny, you know, Danny is a great dad. Like he's, he's, he, he, his parents are awesome. Nicole's awesome. And that would really matter to Danny. It doesn't really matter to everyone, bro. Like not everyone should have kids. You know what I mean? It's, it's uh, it, a lot of us fall into that social kind of, hamster wheel of oh i'm 22 i should be engaged i'm 26 i should be married and then by 29 i should have a child and by and people live like that and sure. you know we're projected through social biases on things like that and uh so danny had accepted oh, i'm not going and then they had the baby and nicole said go for it sweetie and you know he's top of the world he's just recognized what his real main purpose is he's going to a place that he loves and guess what? If he misses the cut, he gets to fly home and see his new son. You can't lose. <laughs> so Crazy. the thing is, is you can't lose. What like if you give lessons tomorrow and, you know, what 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 do you have to lose? That you only have anything to gain. And I think that even if you fail, you've kind of won in a way because you can take that wisdom that you learned from the mistakes that you made and apply it somewhere else. So how about if we get to the point philosophically where we can't lose and failing is the Failing is the key to our growth. So we're not afraid of it. There's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, the only thing that, you know, the only thing that's guaranteed for all of us is like the only thing that should be scary is death. That's it. And even that should be scary because that's a guarantee that's going to happen to all of us. So, you know, what, what do you, you know, and I, so I get these players and I've had a lot of these players who they've kind of lost their game and they've come to me and then we've, and sure, there's some mechanical things that we work on and all that. But once again, it's like, you know, they're they're really good. But, you, you know, you you kind of are adopting 
poor understanding of technique, maybe uh, poor self-esteem, whatever. And so, you know, you just have to start and try to help them up. But it, it is, it's such a great discussion to have with people. It's like, you know, what are you afraid of? And then giving them an understanding, like at Stanford, they did a, I, I believe it was Stanford. They did a, uh, a study on phobias. So, you know, arachnophobia, whatever, the, all the phobias, right? Yeah. And 80, 88% of the people that they had tested with these phobias that were kind of holding them back in their life had never experienced what they're afraid of. Hmm. So for example, right? Like no one had, no one who is afraid of being at a really high height have ever fallen from a really high height and lived. Like they, they just haven't. And most people are afraid of spiders they don't even live in a place that have poisonous spiders anyways. And so you, you start to, to recognize that, you know, the electrical activity going on the brain when they're looking at the spider and when they're just thinking of the spider, it's the same. So we are creating, in most cases, we're creating our fear and the fear is just the narrative. And, and it, and it really is, it starts out as a nonfiction, but then it just turns in, you know, it starts out as a fiction, but then it turns into a nonfiction, man, if I do this, this is going to happen. No one knows that. We don't know that. So I think that that's, that's, that's really important is, you know, like Tiger said, he used to train really hard and he'd work and work and work. And then he would go to the tournament and he would kind of take in all the information on the shot, the wind and all that. Then he would get over the ball and just let his subconscious take over. And the reason that it was really helpful for him is because it kind of gave him a pretty good idea what he needed to work on if things weren't how he wanted it to be, rather than missing it right because there's water left and missing it left because there's water right. Then what do you have? What do you know to work on at that point? So he would get really free and get into the shot and be like, I'm kind of blocking it. So then he would know what to go and work on. So that, I mean, that's incredible. Like that, 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 that to me is so courageous because he wasn't going to steer it around. I like it. You know, I like it for sure. Just um, going back to the importance of breathing, Sean, and I know sort of meditation and perhaps going into brain health, as you call it. Can we, yeah, let's talk about the importance of breathing and, and how you can train to, to become better at breathing well breathing is this is kind of something i've got i've got into a lot and just for my own understanding right and you know i've got kids like everyone else and you know they're 14 and 11 life is starting to become more demanding they've been through this pandemic uh i think we have completely underestimated the effect that that had on kids at that age uh how it aged them actually slightly more and so you know it, it it's really Im important that people understand like you can go three weeks without eating food like if you were going to see your wife and your kids and you were stuck in the middle of the forest and they were the reason you were going to make it out of this forest you could go two and a half three weeks it would get really painful because you'd get catabolic and start you know you'd start eating your own tissue from within but you could do it and then you could go four days without water once again that would get really painful too but you can go about two minutes without breath hmm. two minutes and so it is the complete life force right this whole this whole planet around us is pretty much working on oxygen nitrogen and carbon dioxide right and so carbon dioxide is a very important part of breathing as as much as as much as as, as oxygen is so what's really interesting if you look at cultures over generations and eons, whether it is, 
in the Far East, regardless of where it is, from Native Americans to African tribes, to Catholics, to everything, a lot of the uh, prayer and meditation is based on a five-second inhale and a five-second exhale. Now, for some of those religions, it was a five-second inhale with a chant that was releasing as an exhale, right? Okay. And so the difference with human beings now versus back in, back in the day, two major differences is, you know, back in the day, we only ate when we could eat. And, and now we can eat as much as we want whenever we want. So parts of the brain and the frontal lobes expanded because we had more carbohydrates and more fats and more protein, which was basically fuel for the brain. And as that's occurred in modern times, basically since the industrial revolution, and obviously I'm just repeating what I've read, so it could be right or it could be wrong. You never know, but it made sense to me anyways, right? Yeah. You know, when something, you know, when something has truth because you feel it, it's like that, that makes sense to me, right? Is that our nasal passages are much more narrow than they used to be. And so when you look at high levels in countries of anxiety and depression, it's incredible the amount of people who are mouth breathers. And if you look at sleep apnea and snoring and all these things that, that are occurring that keep people from not sleeping well, and look, sleep is the key, right? Sleep is where all of our recovery done. If I have a putting lesson with you, sleep is where I'm actually going to really start to lay down all the learning that I had. It's not going to happen while I'm having the lesson. It's happening hours after I have the lesson. So sleep is like, God, it's so, so, so important. And we don't sleep like we used to. Uh, we, we, we really don't. And, you know, the, the, obviously the world's busier. We have a lot more blue light. We have a lot more frequencies. You know, there's a lot more external sources of energy that we're not really used to as human beings, right? So, um, you know, I think when it comes down to breathing, it's actually something that needs to be practiced, it needs to be worked on. Um, I don't think it's any different than like someone going to the gym, you have to work on it. And there's not, there's thousands of different styles of breathing. But, you know, there's, there's a bunch of putters that look way different. But they're either face balanced or uh, what's the other one? What do you call it? Toe hang. Yeah, toe hang. Look way different. Still the same thing, right? Yeah. So that, that's 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 really the case. Like when a guy's on TV and he's at 180 ball speed, and the other guy's at 180 ball speed, they're not generating power in completely different ways, right? So we see these articles on the four ways to gain power, and it's like there's not four ways, guys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it, there really isn't, right? It, sure. they're, 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 how to stay hydrated without water. Mm, it's not going to happen, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that, look, life is going to get difficult. And we do have all these mental constructs of previous experiences and, and trauma and doubt and all that. That's normal. It's okay that, that we have that. But breathing is the thing that can kind of, is the only thing. Like I said, I'm having bad thoughts and people are saying, well, have good thoughts. Well, when I feel my best, I actually have no thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, you know, it's like when, it's like when someone shoots 59 and they do an interview, it's the worst interview ever. It's like, so tell me about today, man. It was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, it just felt really good out there. Uh, yeah. It, there's nothing there was, you know, Sergio misses that in the playoff, he loses to Patrick Harrington and the, you know, <laughs> The interview is 30 minutes long and gets to the point where he says, I'm playing, I'm playing people that aren't even in the field, you know, like, 
it, you know what I mean? So it's, totally, uh, yeah. it's uh, when a guy shoots 80, it's like, a, it could be a 10 page essay. Um, <laughs> and, and 59 is, I just don't know, felt really good. Uh, had perfect numbers. Uh, yeah, just don't know. Because the thing is, no one does it the next day. No thought. No, they can't do uh, reproduce it. But I think that's because there's a lot of external variables. Like that guy might have hit on six different iron shots. He might have hit five seconds before the wind went from 17 to 22. Yeah. Because if it went from 17 to 22 and he hit, you know, he hit a couple seconds earlier, mid-flight, that thing might have got stalled and plugged in the front lip and a world-class shot ended up being a double bogey. Like that's all happening. All the time. You know, guy hits it there and it lands just next to an old ball mark and spins down the hole. It lands in an old ball mark, skids forward and gets on the other side of the slope. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. So to me, you know, what is something that I can, what is something that will help me and benefit me? Well, that's learning how to breathe properly. What else can benefit me as an athlete? Um, having the right amount of potassium and magnesium, sodium chloride in my water, having, you know, being hydrated. What else is something that can help me? Um, I can make sure that I'm off my cell phone at eight o'clock at night, because if I sit there for too much longer, that blue light is going to affect my circadian rhythms and affect the way that I sleep, where all the great things that happen to me in my life are all happening in my sleep. And so, you know, when I, I've worked with a lot of CEOs and I've met a lot of impressive people in my life based on, you know, we have an incredible job because these people who are incredible at what they do. They're not very good at golf. So we end up being in the room with so many people that even if we went to Harvard or Oxford, we probably would have never met these people. It's just really amazing, isn't it? And Absolutely. you know what? A lot of those people, they have a few things in common that I've studied. They read a lot. Okay. They read a lot. None of them are on, down. Yeah, yeah. They're not on social media. They don't really watch television much. They read a lot. Most of them are asleep by nine o'clock. Most of them are awake by four or four thirty. Most of them in that first couple hours are meditating and doing cardio and working out. Okay. Very rarely I've met any of them who aren't fit. Hmm. Right? Interesting. Yep. And I, by fit, I don't mean like ripped on a beach. They're just fit. You know, they're they're the not vain but just fit and sure there's they probably some, yeah there's probably some vanity in there too of course like you know people can think vanity is a bad thing or we could have recognized that based on looks in tribes we would kind of accelerate ourselves in the hierarchy so that's been with us man this stuff is all we're born with all of these things mm -hmm. and so i i think that you know you look at that and you're like man it's kind of interesting it's like they all do the same type of thing and so having discipline, but having the knowledge of like, okay, it's not so much the social media, that's the problem. It's the fact that you are just have this blue light admitting into your brain for four hours between eight and 12. Look, historically, that's not in us. So when you look at human beings, 85% of our brain is the same as it was during caveman time. So only 15% of it has happened in evolution. And I mean, if you look at it from issues in countries to wars, a lot of time we act like even worse than animals. So it's still very in there, right? Sure. Okay. The ability to be brutish and animalistic is just, is literally a situation away. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, you got school teachers who were, you know, grade six primary school teachers in Ukraine who at the start of the war 
they realized that all the hunting they did with their grandfather growing up, these guys were good shots and they're now snipers. And so this person was teaching sixth graders and they're now killing people on a daily basis. So we have that, we have that ability to go there and it's very natural, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's much harder to stay out of war than it is to get into one, right? It's much harder to, it takes more of a man to not get in a fight than to get in a fight because getting in a fight's pretty easy, right? So yep. I, I think as, as you start to look at all those things, what would you and I have done in, in, so how we live now is a grain of sand on the beaches of time. We were, we were another way for much longer than we are now, right? So even in human existence, even fire's fairly new, okay? Mm -hmm. So we would have woke up at first light, right? We would have woke up at first light yeah, we may we may or may have not had food. Probably not. Breakfast is like a is a is a thing for the rich. All right, breakfast isn't <laughs> even it. It's it's really true, right? So we would probably be in bare feet, and we would go hunting, right? And we would hunt all day. The women would stay at home and have the way more important job as they still do, um, building the society, educating the children, taking care of them, and we just we had nothing to do, bro. We just went hunting. All yeah. right, so we're in the sun all day. Okay, so the sun gives us electric energy. That's it. You know, the sun is the source of all energy. So it gives us electrical energy. Then we're walking bare feet uh, on the earth, which is magnetic. So thermal and magnetic. So we're kind of electromagnetic. So we get this voltage from the earth. We get this energy from the sun. The light system governs the nervous system. The nervous system governs the immune system. And we go hunting. We, you know, we release dopamine on the chase. Because if we don't release dopamine, we're going to quit. We got to have something that makes us feel good. So the process is where human beings release dopamine. And now, unfortunately, kids are releasing dopamine, getting like after a picture that they altered. It's not even how they fucking look. They've <laughs> altered the picture. And now they're getting a dopamine hit because all those guys in Instagram and Twitter, they're so brilliant that they hired neuroscientists and the smartest people in the world to say, how do we keep them on this thing? And to the point that when they're interviewed, are your kids on your social media? They're like, hell no, my kids aren't on social media, but I'm okay if your kids are, right? So this is a thing. This is, this is all occurring. So that even goes against how we historically released dopamine. So then we kill the animal. Uh, we bring it back. We eat. And then as soon as the sun goes down, we're, we're asleep. There's nothing to do. It's pitch black. So I think that when we look at mental health issues, we have to look at the physiological factors. Look, we've all been through trauma. We've all been bullied. We've all been, we've all had a girl break up with us or a guy break up with us. We've all had our parents disappointed with us. We've all failed a million times. We've all done that. Like everyone's done that, right? Sure. Okay. So uh, before we get into like laying on a couch and really talking about it, let's look at, you know, let's look at, um, I was at a party uh, a week ago and I was with these two guys and they're really good guys, but they're really overweight. Like they're very, very, very heavy. And, you know, they're talking about anxiety and depression and all that. And I'm like, guys, I'm telling you, like the first thing you need to do, the first thing you need to do is you need to go to the gym or you need to go outside. And if you're smart, you wake up first thing in the morning when you have early morning sunlight, Andrew Huberman at Stanford, who's a brilliant follow uh, Huberman lab has shown that, oh, yeah. that he's amazing. Is that, Good, that, yeah. early, that early morning sunlight. But the thing what's amazing about it is like how you do, what, why do you use, why do you use a Sam Putt lab or why do you use the things that you use is to measure something. So 
He's not going, I have an idea. They've actually measured it. So early morning sunlight is very important to how we set mood and how we set circadian rhythms. Why? Because we forever would have had early morning sunlight. We weren't sleeping till 10. If we slept till 10, dude, we wouldn't eat. The tribe would be extinct. That's, we, we now have the opportunity to do these things. Sure. But it doesn't mean that it's good for us, right? So yep. th there's so many things that these guys can do to understand like that anxiety and depression are normal, right? We all get depressed. I mean, I turn on the news, I'm depressed for like two, three minutes, right? It's, it's sad, some of that shit that you see. But the key is if you have a healthy brain, you're depressed, but then you, then you come back to, then you come back to, you default back to clarity. Of course, I'm going to think about my kids and my future. And, you know, I'm sitting on the couch thinking, man, I hope next year is a good year. Well, that's anxiety. Thinking about a place that you're not in, especially if it's in the future, is going to list anxiety because that's just anticipation. Like, I don't know what's going to happen three months from now. And you know what? When most people think about three months from now, how many times do they go, what if three months from now I'm in the greatest place I've ever been in my life? We don't normally think like that. We normally think like, man, what if I lose my card or what if I lose my players or man, then I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage and my kids are about to go to college. That's natural to think like that. But it's not natural to stay in that. That's very momentary. So depression and anxiety should be momentary. They shouldn't be extended over time. So what are the physiological things that I can do to guarantee that I give myself the best opportunity to be in a good mood and to enjoy my life? It's sleep, working out, hydration, and breathing. And then, you know, and then eating as well as I can. I don't like to talk about eating because so many of the world's population are just trying to actually eat. So mm -hmm. if you can, if you can count your calories then you better count your blessings, but if you have the opportunity to count your calories, you know, Justin Rose walked around the golf course for years, eating, uh, eating these bars that yeah. were made, that were made by a chef directly to his, directly to his large intestine and how it processed food. Wow. Why would you, why would you not do that? Absolutely. Right. I mean, I go to a junior tournament and see a kid drinking a Gatorade, eating a power bar. I mean, the power bar might as well be a Snickers bar. So <laughs> it, if you look at the ingredients in a power bar, it's not, it, it, it's, it's not good for you, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not good for you. So, you know, he's doing this the whole round in the last four holes, you know, he has a crash and he loses his clarity and his focus and he makes a double bogey. And then people tell him that he can't close it out. Well, let's, let's get him, Let's get him hydrated and eating right and breathing right before we create these narratives that he doesn't have what it takes on the last four holes. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And uh, that's really, you know, eye-opening and inspirational what you're saying there. So yeah, thank you. Good stuff. Yeah, but that's, but this, this is where, you know, this is, this, this to me is like, this is where we need, this, this is where we need to be. Like if, if you look at a, if you look at a guy like Pep, right. As a, as a club manager, I bet you he knows. I bet you, I understand. I guarantee you, he knows this stuff. People will understand this because that is giving us the best opportunity. Look, we're gonna fail. We're gonna have bad days. All these things are gonna happen, right? And you know, the the key, like you start out with a young player who wants to who wants to play for uh, Whale, wants to play in the Ryder Cup. He's gonna have so many terrible nights. And that that that's guaranteed, but that but but that's okay because he's trying to climb Mount Everest, and so climbing Mount Everest would probably have days where it was 
just beautiful and you were so grateful for this opportunity. And then we'll have days at 22,000 feet where you're stuck in a blizzard for three days wondering why you even started doing this. Absolutely. So there's, there's no way to try to climb a mountain and not go through this just spectrum of emotions and this spectrum of difficulty. And the crazy thing is that by the time you summit, you can only really spend like two minutes up there because it's so cold and there's no oxygen. So you do all this to get to the top and you only have enough time to take a selfie before you go down. And then the funny thing is when you go down, that's where most climbers dive because now you're working with gravity and you're really tired and you're still at this height where there's less oxygen. And now there's this eccentric load on the body as you're going down. Like for me, I have, my knees are a bit iffy. Going upstairs are fine. Going downstairs is brutal. Do you see what I'm saying? So, totally. so guess what? Like, it's going to be, you know, you look at Tiger Woods and people ask me, what are the keys to success? I think curiosity and sacrifice are the ultimate keys to success. If you, Phil Kenyon, to me, is one of the great coaches in golf. And, you know, both of us have spent a lot of time away from our families, man. Hmm. You know, and, and the juice has to be worth the squeeze and the sacrifice has to be worth it. And I think as we probably get older, we're going to realize that that's not the case and have more players come to us. But that, that's a big part of being able to do his job well is knowing that you're going to be in airports and you're going to be in hotels. And that stuff's not glamorous. Like, like that stuff is annoying. It's not you're not supposed to be away from your family. That's not really how we're designed. So, the, the, you know, the sacrifice has to be worth um, you know, what you earn in return. Absolutely. I love that. Do you think, um, know the, um, the Everest theory that they have, like most people die on the way down. Do you think that's not necessarily dying, but a lot of top athletes, you know, on the chase when they want to become world champions, they're hungry and they get there. And then a lot of the mental health issues happen when they get there to be similar to that. Yeah. I don't know. I just, you know, you can look in so many sports when people get to number one and then they don't stay there. And, you know, versus like Tiger's there for 656 weeks, right? But that's like a whole different obsession, right? Like Tiger was way different than everybody else like that. Like it just mattered so much to him. Um, you can't teach that. that. That's something someone designates personally. But yeah, I, guess what? Maybe you get there. And, you know, I heard Trevor Immelman say in an interview, you know, the day after he won the Masters was a terrible day because he thought, man, is this what I've sacrificed my whole life for? It didn't. It didn't. The juice wasn't worth the squeeze. It didn't. And then what if you got a guy or a girl who become number one in the world at anything? And what if they're kind of private people, right? Well, now you're getting interviewed every week. You know, now you have more things to do. And with becoming number one, you're also going to have more financial opportunities. Well, those opportunities aren't going to come without sacrifice. So that's going to be extra days doing extra things. And now all of a sudden, like what you did to get there, now your life's way different. And the amount of time you have allotted to doing your craft is changing. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, uh, I, I mean, I'd rather get to that point and then I'd rather be there and then figure it out from there. But I think that that's, uh, you know, it, you, you kind of were under the radar and now every single time you're a notable on golf channel. And then every single time you go to a tournament, you're getting interviewed now, way more people want your signature. So that takes four or five extra hours away from what you're doing each week. If you add it all up over six days, um, and then you go to the restaurant, you can't really not be noticed anymore. It's all that. And for a lot of people, that's not what they want. And so 
what's a pretty easy way to get back to being how you want to be is you don't play well and then there's no attention on you. And what if the subconscious is sabotaging us to bring us back to a place where we feel good again? It's like so crazy, right? And so crazy, m- yeah. most, most of what I'm saying is I'm just speculating, but you know, I, I remember, I remember like working with Tiger and you know, I've literally been in airports where I've had people come up and give me a high five. And then I've been in airports where I literally had to call security over because somebody was like not thrilled. And, you know, with Tiger, when he was, when we started him, we were struggling and, and, you know, it's a year after his divorce and he's a human being. So he's going through all this stuff. Um, when he got back to number one and then started to really put the, put his foot down and start to win a lot, um, I just got to the point where I just had room service every night because I couldn't go out and I'm a pretty social being, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not better than anybody. I'm, you and I are not separate. We're connected in every single fashion we can imagine. So I enjoy that. And so sitting in there and, and, you know, getting room service and then finding myself becoming much more private when I was at home. And I never really knew when people were hanging out with me, why they were hanging out with me. Um, and so it was just, it was just different. And no one can, you can't read in a book what that's going to be like, um, you know, but also at the same point, uh, I was responsible for that because I said yes to the job. I didn't, what did I think I was going to be able to stay under the radar? So, you know, those are all things that uh, it's not to say they're bad things, but it's still just more to think about. Sure. And when I feel my best, I'm not really thinking about anything. So uh, I'm not I'm not asking for sympathy or anything at all. I'm grateful for the whole experience. Um, it, it was amazing. I still to this day can't believe that it happened from time to time. But uh, do you still have that moment you wake up and sort of pinch yourself? Mm, yeah, I don't know. I think I feel like that mo- like often. I don't really think it's like like, oh, my God, like, wow. I mean, it's I think that early on, I really felt like that. But, you know, it's been what this is my going to be my 17th year coaching on tour. And so it's, you know, it's it, it uh, you got to find ways to keep challenging yourself to grow because it's I think over time, you know, it can get like I never thought I was going to know as much about breathing as I do. 17 years ago, when I first came on tour, every single bad shot was due to a mechanical flaw. Got you. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then you realize it's not. And then what is it? And then what is it? And then what is it? And you're just trying to provide your clients with the best, uh, you know, the best amount of information that applies and resonates with, with, with what they, with what they need. But yeah, I mean, you know, I was pretty lucky to be raised by, you know, my dad, whose kind of idea was, you know, people say, how you doing? And he's like, man, I'm above the soil. So I'm doing better than a lot of people. Like it, I don't really ask for much. I don't need much to feel, um, to, to, to feel grateful, but yeah, of course I, I, I still, I still pinch myself, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I've not taken it for granted and I'm not expectant. So yeah, I'm still very, I'm still very grateful, but you know, I, I know what the, I really know what the deal is now. So as the truth unveils itself to you, it's, it's, uh, is an interesting place to be. Love it. That's, that's good. Going back to the, um, sort of start of your journey with Tiger back in 2010, what was the, <laughs> what was that like at the start and how did, uh, can you like share, I don't know, the phone call, did he ring you and like say, do you want the job or t- can you tell us how the interview process of being hired by Tiger Woods was? Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, uh, there was nothing like that. Um, 
Tiger's just like a guy. He's a dude. Like he's a guy's guy, right? And um, I noticed that week at Firestone in ten that um, what I would do is I used to have that Casio XL. Okay. And just before I got the TrackMan, so what I used to do is I, at that time I had Rosie and uh, Rosie and Hunter and Sean O'Hare and Stephen Ames, and so all four of them were playing in the WGC event at Firestone. And I just like, I, I guess I'd been with Rosie for a year. Um, so we had won twice. We won the Memorial and then we won um, up in Aronimink. And uh, yeah, he almost won three weeks in a row, if I remember. Um, and then Hunter was going good. Sean O'Hare was going good. And uh, Stephen Ames was doing well. And so I remember that week, what I would do is I would get the videos and then I would go into the player's locker room and sit down and I would write my notes. Oh, yeah. uh, I would write, cause I forget all the stuff. Like I need to write it down, right? Like my wife has definitely taught me that honey, write it down. Right. <laughs> you know, we're like guys, when we're lost, we don't stop for directions. Right. It's so stupid. Right? Now, <laughs> as soon as I think I'm lost, I stop right away. Okay. Cause yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to get more lost. Okay. Yeah. Um, and right now my notes and Tiger sat down next to me and I'd sat with him uh, in 09. I had lunch with him at the tour championship. Um, so he's just asking me about myself. And, and I remember that was pretty cool. Like I was like, holy shit, um, that's Tiger Woods. I'm a huge, I was a huge, huge, huge Tiger fan, bud. So um, I remember him kind of observing me that week. And then uh, on Saturday night, he called me and uh, he got my number from Sean O'Hare. And uh, he said to me, uh, you know, are you going to be at the PGA Championship? Can you take a look at, uh, at my swing? And I watched him all week. I watched him all the time. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> like when he's out there, you have to tell yourself, like, focus on who's in front of you because it's just so easy to get enamored into this, this energetic aura that he has. Um, and then he said to me, um, I want to congratulate you for helping three good players become great players. And I was like, <laughs> my head was like, <laughs> um, <laughs> and look, to be honest with you, um, I was pretty fortunate because obviously at that time, my belief system was a little bit more methodol methodological. So Hunter O'Hare and Justin Rose at that point, for what I really believed was the reason that we did well, that suited all of them. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of lucky that my first three guys had fit my level of understanding. Um, do you see what I'm saying? Totally, like what, yeah. I, what I believed at that time, like think about what you believed about putting five years ago and what you've learned now. Oh, massive. Yeah. So I was just, I was lucky to be honest that those guys needed exactly almost that thing. Right. And so, um, you know, I could keep, I could keep their head still and put a glove under all of their right arms and it matched them up. Lovely. Like it was perfect. Yeah. And so, um, I learned later, I, I say that with humility is because I learned later that I was actually a little bit, um, you know, uh, 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 out over my skis, so to speak. That's one of the sayings, out over my skis too much. So anyways. What do you mean by that? Sorry, out of the skis? Out of, like when a skier gets out over their skis, they're going to fall. Okay. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like uh, I, I'm, I'm gambling at a table with way too high of a minimum. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, that next week in Wisconsin, uh, he –
I didn't want to do anything around that tournament because my guys had all been playing good and working hard. And I knew it would just become a total like gong show. Um, so he played, he went out and played with Justin and Sean and Hunter Mahan that Tuesday morning. Um, and then on Wednesday afternoon, I went to the range with him and that's kind of when I went up over the stands and walked down and I stood on top of the stands and said, man, you can just turn around right now and not do this. Uh, and a lot of people were telling me not to do it. And I just was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And so I went down there and that, that's, that's how, it, that's how it started. But that was, uh, I, I learned really, I learned really quickly. I remember the next day <laughs> I was walking on the golf course, watching him in the first round. And, uh, and I remember he was three under through five and Rosie texts me and he goes, thanks mate. Right. <laughs> yeah. Taking the piss. Yeah. Th thanks. Oh, thanks mate. Right. Cause Rosie knows I know what I'm doing. He's like, Oh, thanks mate. And I was like, yeah, don't, don't, don't. He's Tiger Woods, bro. Don't. Well, I knew that one of these were coming at some point. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my brother texts me and he goes, Hey dude, um, stop, uh, you know, stop adjusting your midsection. You know, as guys, <laughs> yeah. we, he goes, there's been a camera following you for 25 minutes. And I remember at that point, I felt like really like, oh, sh wow. Yeah. Um, so you kind of dream of the thing, but you don't really realize what the reality becomes at that point. And, and, you know, uh, constant text messages from media and all these things. And uh, so, yeah, the thing itself was really cool, but the other stuff was, 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 was kind of annoying, but I don't have anyone to blame except myself, right? How did your life uh, change at that point, though, that week? Like, you must have felt like your world was upside down, almost. No, not really. I think that every, I think I was fine. I just think everything around me changed. Okay. But I, so didn't, I, I didn't change, but everything around me changed rapidly. And that's just the, the media, the, just, yeah, just the, the noise. Yeah, like that first, what was it, that Thursday night or whatever, I went to, I'm, I'm Canadian and my roommates are Canadian. And so we did what we do in Wisconsin and we went to the bar, we went to the pub. Yeah. And I knew that, that at that point I was like, whoa, okay, that's way different. Did so you, yeah. What, so you had like a beer and, or not, when you say you go to the bar? Yeah, like, oh yeah, of course. So you went and had a beer and did you get, not in shit, but did you get like really No, cool no, 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 just, it, it just people coming up. And wanting to take a picture and not, I'd never had anything like that before. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a kind person, so I'm going to do it, but it was just kind of like, man, I just want to go out and get away from all this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, you know, over time it became, I became a little corrupted within myself. I mean, I, I remember, I remember my mom calling me at one point and saying like, you know, you haven't called your father and I in three months. And I was like, my, I love my parents. I have a great relationship with my parents. And my wife telling me that, you know what, this isn't really what I signed up for, you know, like, even when you're at home, you're not even at home, you're, 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 you know, you're at, you're at the kids sports game, but you're not even watching, you're like, not even there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it be I became a bit obsessed with the whole thing. Um, and trying to prove people wrong. And so the, none of that is me. Like, that's not, that's not, I've never done what I've done to show people I can do it. I could care less, like what people's perception is. What, I mean, no one knows what I've been through in my life. You know, there's people like my wife or my parents or my brother. Those are people that if they said, Hey, Sean, you know what? 
Um, we want to talk to you. We've been kind of noticing this with you and we're not sure where you're at. They've earned the right to actually say that because they know me. But most people think they know you, but they don't know you. They, they, know, they know how you've been presented and then they're going to see themselves in you. It's like a mirror theory, right? Like it's, it's when you look in golf and you look in coaching and some people have all these haters, like hatred is a function of, of ignorance, jealousy, and envy. And so when you add those three together, you're going to have hatred, but hatred's an outward thing. So it's like the people think like, how many times have I met someone? And they're like, man, you're not as arrogant as I thought you were. And I'm like, well, can I give you some advice? Never think anyone is anything until you actually meet them. Hmm. Right. Absolutely. So Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's like I can turn on the TV and it can be about somebody and I can think, oh, well, I just saw that. So I know, but I don't know what he went through as a child. I don't know what he went through in high school. I don't, I don't, how could someone get to that point where they could do something to other people like that? If anything, I, I have empathy in my heart for how a little baby, you know, and a little kid who was two or three or like, you know, like your little ones, how much joy they have and how much they just love life. Right. Absolutely you know, how do we become, you know, how do we become, you know, all the indoctrination and domestication and mind control from government to religion to all that. I mean, all these things are happening to us and we don't even know. So it's like, by the time we're 12 or 13, we have all these holdups with ourselves, and all of them have been created for us. We never had a holdup with ourselves when we were four or five, right? There's never been, there's never been a, there's never been a Palestinian three-year-old and Israeli three-year-old who have an issue with each other. The only issue they have is if one takes the other one's toy. <laughs> yeah. So all that, you know, all that stuff is all taught, man. That's not natural. It's not natural for people to be like that. You know, that's just, that's how, that's how we're, you know, that's how we're indoctrinated. And then all of a sudden we start to see the world out of the lens of our own mind. And we think all the stress that we have is because of things outside of us, but we're actually just permeating and generating that almost holograph. It's not even a real thing. So it's, it's pretty, uh, this is the stuff I like to talk about. I love, look, I love the golf swing and I, I love all that too. But as I, as I've got older and as I've continued to kind of transcend, I guess my goal is probably 10 years from now is to be at a major championship and have a player say, man, I read an article that used to be a swing coach because I think that potentially I can have more effect and more influence. Um, if I continue to really learn this, and I know how I did it already the first time, you know, I, I know what, what it took. And so now, you know, to have that super like clear picture and dream and almost manifestation of where I see myself 10 years from now. And then I know what it takes is to kind of continuously have that vision, but then just get back and be the best that I can at 10 AM and the best that I can at 11 AM and the best that I can at 12 PM. And just, you know, take it one day at a time until that becomes my reality, which is going to be impermanent anyways. Reality is not permanent, right? It's, you know, what, what you're struggling with today, you probably won't be struggling with it a month from now. And you just need to understand that. So I think that that's, uh, you know, that's really important in coaching is getting guys to understand, like, I know you just missed three cuts in a row, but we can only, this thing is only going to make us miss 10 in a row. Mm. Okay. We don't need to miss seven more. Sure. But let's let's look at the data and let's look at the metrics. And, you know, we're making a lot of bogeys on holes where wind is in off the left, off the tee. So we need to come up with a solution to that. Yeah, brilliant. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, good. 
Um, Sean, that's uh, brilliant. I'm really conscious of your time here. We've uh, certainly uh, been longer than I thought we were going to, but I could I could continue for hours. But I know you've got to get to the coaching tee at some point. Just to um to finish off, one last thing. Uh, you sort of mentioned Tiger's a man's man, right? So when you're working with him, he invites you over for I don't know for for a meal and and a beer and to watch the football or whatever. So away from all the noise, what was uh what was that experience like and what would uh you know what would he have on the menu for you and what jokes was going on no it didn't really work like that it was like uh him telling me and joe lacava let's meet at fleming's at he loves steak right let's meet at fleming's at six o'clock and we would get there at like you know six o'clock and he's already eating a salad and then as we order our drinks and our salad his steak comes and he eats a steak and then he has dessert and then he's gone interesting so me and joe would just be left at the table so it's like hey guys let's have dinner tonight and we would sit there for about 15 minutes and then he'd be done so it wasn't like you didn't get close close with tiger then yeah no no for, for sure i was look i was i was with tiger at a time where i walked into his life when so many people were walking out and so okay. tiger has never questioned like my heart or loyalty towards him um and, and knowing that I was with him at the most difficult time of his life, it wasn't going to be easy. Right. Um, yeah. And I was a punching bag and, you know, and, and he knew that. So we, we still have a lot of respect and love for each other. I mean, that, 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 that's my guy. And, you know, I think that if I probably picked up on that, I could be more beneficial, beneficial to him in his relationship than in his game, you know, who knows? Um, hmm. But, you know, that's, this is, you know, 12 years ago, um, around this time of the year, I started working with it. I mean, 12 years ago, I could give that, I could, I could give that guy 12 years ago, not him, but myself, a real fucking lecture on what this is all about. Cause that guy didn't understand it yet. And what so you, look, you do, you do the best, you, you, you do the best with what you know, right? It's yeah. right. It's like you go to a football game and all of a sudden, you know, you get some guys fighting each other. They're doing their best from their own level of understanding, right? Just because you and I understand that one football doesn't matter that much. Two, we have no control over the guys on the field. And three, there's really no reason to fight somebody. I can't explain to a hooligan that because he behaves in a way that he understands. That's rational and logical to him. So, you, you know, you got to understand most people are trying to do their best from their own level of understanding. Like how many lessons do you have with people where, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling. And then after you, you don't even tell them what to do, but you go, Hey, did you know this and this and eye lines and this and this and rib cage and this and this. And then all of a sudden they just get so much better with their putting is because they're like, Oh, I thought I was supposed to do it like this. Mm, yeah. Concepts. Right. Concepts. So, I mean, if you know, the problem is what happens with human beings is we have a Ferrari and it's not working. And the last thing we check is, oh shit, there's diesel in the gas tank. You know what we do? We run the computer, we look at the transmission, we look at this, we look at this, and we look at this. And then the mechanic goes, hey, why do you have diesel in here? So I think, I think a lot of times the solutions as coaches is way more simple than we make it, like way more simple than we make it, right? Yeah, totally. Sean, um, I've absolutely loved that today. I've learned so much myself and I'm sure the listeners um, would have as well. Um, really appreciate your time and yeah, thank you very much. Keep being, you know, the, the best version of you and, and keep, please do keep uh, doing such a wonderful job of, of uh, 
well being curious and learning so it's good yeah no it look it 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 is uh, we got one chance at this thing man like we have one chance at life and you know um you, you gotta have you gotta have meaning and then you gotta understand the things and, and to me it's just you know educate to elevate right like you know it that that's that that that's really the key it's educate to elevate and then to recognize that you know in order to have wisdom dude you know wisdom comes from experience well most of those experiences aren't great and so we all have you know you and i you of putting phil of putting me of full swing jeff smith whoever it is pete cowan we all have knowledge but then we need to add wisdom to that to have true understanding well guess what most of the wisdom that we're going to have isn't going to come from when we go with our friends to on a trip to jamaica and have a blast right sure. wisdom is wisdom is going to come from learning from your failures so you know we all kind of want to have understanding but we're not willing to go through that hardship and that's the only way to get there you got to you got to go through it to get to it there's no way around it love that what a great way to finish sean once again thanks again for your time Okay, my friend, be good, Ollie.